The following programme contains descriptions of violence and is intended for a mature audience. Now on Documentary on News Talk, producer Brian Kenny looks at the struggles facing women under occupation in Palestine in Fighting on Two Fronts. Palestine, the West Bank, Gaza, Israel. Words that evoke so much emotion, history, politics, religion, conflict. This is a story about all of the above, but from the perspective of Palestinian women, who suffered the conflict in a different way. I was to start my journey travelling to the hills of Hebron, to meet with a community who despite farming their lands for generations, have suffered immensely under incursions from Israeli settlers, backed by the Israeli Defence Forces. Before that, I met with Adina from an NGO Hackwell, who supports this and other communities like them, legally. My name is Adina Ben-Ruvain. I am the co-director of Hakel. Uh, Hakel is a human rights NGO, and our main activities include um, gaining land access uh, for landowners throughout the OPT. Uh, we represent um, over 18,000 beneficiaries uh, and entire villages. That's why the number is so high, because uh, some of it is um, some of the beneficiaries are actually entire villages. So in 1967, Israel uh, occupied the West Bank. And in the 90s, um, through the Oslo Accord agreements, there were three areas designated um, within the framework of the Oslo Accords, areas A, B, and C. Area A is completely in Palestinian, uh, under Palestinian control from every aspect. B is in uh, the control of the Palestinian Authority with some involvement of Israel. And Area C is in full civil and military Israeli control. So we represent villages and landowners in Area C in which there are daily ongoing land rights violations. Basically, Israel, the establishment of the, of the settlements um, has been an ongoing process through all the Israeli governments. And settlers want to maintain a presence in the, in the West Bank, in Area C in particular, in order to prevent the formation of a Palestinian state. Because if you take... And that's also happening here in Jerusalem. If you take a geographical area and you try to create uh, one contiguous geographical formation of a state, but then you take outposts and settlements and you dot it in between, you, you can't have cohesion of these communities because they're all split and divided by outposts and settlements. And Israel over the years has encouraged and continues to encourage uh, the, the establishment of what are called shepherd farms, which are educational institutions for young people who, uh, you know, either prior to their army service or, you know, they're serving the country by going out and setting up outposts on Palestinian land, it's a living, a living nightmare. Uh, and not only from the point of view of the settlers who 
are extremely violent, extremely determined to make life difficult uh, for the local resident population. Um, but it's coupled with the Israeli government policies and practices. So, for example, the army's duty... In 2006, there was a high court decision um, dictating that Palestinian landowners should be able to access their lands and should be protected while accessing their lands. So what actually happens is when when there's an incident of violence, our lawyers call the police, we call the army, we call the civil administration to come and take action. And it's their role to take action as determined by that court decision. But in practice, what actually happens is either they don't show up or they take their time showing up or they stand there completely, you know, letting settlers do whatever they want. Very, and we've got thousands of video clips. In very few incidents when you see actual action on behalf of, of soldiers against settlers. It's, it's very rare. <laughs> Adina arranges for me to be taken to the village of Tuani in the Hebron Hills, a hot spot for settler violence against Palestinians. I'm going to meet a woman I've heard a lot about, a woman whose courage and vision changed the whole village. First, I'm meeting her son Basil al-Hadra, but on the way to meet us, he's stopped and harassed by soldiers. We're told to sit and wait for his call. The Israeli police stopped him? Yeah, they, he said the Israeli soldier, soldier stopped, stopped him. I don't know why they stopped him. Uh, he said maybe it will take some, uh, some time, but it's better to sit here. Sometime later, Basil arrives and we go to meet him. Yeah, so today I was like driving back to come meet you. I was taking activists to stay with a shepherd who was threatened by settlers. And only like a jeep of army come and block my car, stay there, take my ID, uh, showing that they're checking, but they were holding my ID for more than one hour, playing with the drone that they had and moving around, try to find something in the car, taking photos. But they know who you are. Yeah, they know who I am. They see me. I show them that I'm a journalist. I have a, a, a journalist ID. They don't care. You know, they have the power. They do whatever they want. So they kept me in the sun until other Israeli activists come, like another, like there was eight people and the police. So they said, okay, the area is closed, military area, and you all have to leave away. Well, I was like leaving, but they stopped me. As a child, I grow up, I see the army invading my home, uh, beating up my father. It was like first time in 2005, the soldiers, six soldiers were beating up my father brutally. For How old were you? I was like nine years old. So what do you remember? Is it during the night you were asleep? No, I, he was in the field uh, grazing the sheep and the soldiers want him to go away because the settlers gave them an order. 
But legally, he 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 can't stay there and graze the animal. They ask him to leave, to go away, to not come to this land and graze our animal there. And this is his land uh, for generation, for all the community. Also, is the agriculture of Twani village. So it's main resource. People need it for uh, grazing their their animal there to to make living from it. So the, he, my father, refused to go. Said no, I I have paper from the court. I can stay here, graze my sheep. Other with the other people around, and they were refusing. The soldiers, I mean, the occupation soldiers, keep pushing him. Uh, he he was refusing. Uh, I was uh, I was crying to be honest because it's my first time. Uh, I knew that they can take my father away. I recognize it. Put him on the ground, beating him with with their hands, uh, trying to take, to put handcuffs in his hands and to close his eyes. He was trying to resist all the time, hide his hands from them. It was like terrifying moment watching uh, that video. And after that, I remember the soldiers come to, uh, because my father and my mother uh, kept the activism, kept bring uh, uh, activists from uh, abroad and Israelis activists to the area to come with the uh, to um, for protective presence and documentation same with the shepherds who go with school students and film the settlers attacking attacking them with stones because there's students come and go to schools settlers go down and attack them because these outposts uh, they're built between our communities that exist since generations so they cut the roads of the people movement so for, because of that as a price uh, I, I as a child I remember the uh, occupation soldiers come at night to our houses take everyone out in the community even the village take everyone out uh, sometimes they throw <coughs> stones at our doors because they don't want anyone stay on the, on the house, no child. <clears throat> I remember I don't have, like as a child, don't have time to, to wear my shoes and have to work in the dirty road without shoes. So the other nights I start to sleep with my shoes and very worried and scared if this night they will come uh, or not. They put us in circle and down in the village, start treating us. Uh, sometimes arrest the adults like my father were and the other guys and just make like them for hours sitting in jeeps and going around driving uh, while closing their eyes and uh, handcuffing them. When I grow, I was very proud of my parents who didn't have chance to have a school in the community, but they built through their activism a school for me. And that's how I learned English. And that's where I, I graduate from school in 20 and go study in, in university. I finally get to sit with Basil's mother, Kifak Alhadra, the village matriarch, whose story is infamous in this region. A woman who has stood up to depression and violence, and through her activism ensured a school was built, allowing a whole village to receive an education. We sit in her house, which is 200 years old, a house her grandmother owned, yet despite this, one that settlers have attacked and claimed the land. <laughs> In her opinion, uh, education was more important than water and electricity in a way. 
and she was uh, she was pushing that idea and she managed to to find a group of young men and women that uh, that supported her and thought uh, similarly so the first decision like we started building the school but the first decision we made before before that was that we're not going to work at all before one uh, o'clock at night we're only going to work after one o'clock at night and that is because uh, the settlers and the army and police monitor every moment every movement we make inside the village um, and at those times of the day they'll probably be sleeping so it'll be a little better for us so she's saying that as they started building the school the army and the settlers starting like uh, sniffing around it started like um, going around the village like the army presence was getting more and more like they were obviously noticing it and it seemed like they were thinking of like how are, how are they going to react to it so they decided the villagers decided that the women will work in daytime like afternoon with the children and the men would work at night and she's saying at night when the men worked it's not like the women slept the women sat up on the mountain to watch out for the army and settlers and the moment we saw some suspicious activity or a jeep moving or something like that we would immediately tell tell the men so that they are be careful, careful and nobody would uh, be hurt or arrested we continued this way for 20, 20 days um, because we were only planning at that stage just to build three simple rooms. We didn't think of building a proper uh, central building or something because we were too scared of demolitions. Uh, so we said we will continue, like we continued this exact uh, strategic, strategic way for 20 days until we finished these uh, three rooms. So they reached the last day when they actually wanted to place the roof on these rooms and it, like, like there was a lot of uh, work that had to be done at that night so they can finish everything. Uh, so the whole village got like uh, involved and there were a big group standing on the mountain of the women like uh, observing and nobody slept that night like except the young kids. When we reached back home that morning it was like a celebration, like a festival. We were all just so happy that we managed to build the structure without any problems at the last night. Uh, and then a calm week passed until the demolition order arrived. Saying definitely shocked everyone and people were like uh, thinking of all kinds of extreme measures like I'll take my family and we'll live inside the school and let them demolish it on our head and like each family was like starting to suggest things like how to defend the school um, and that's basically when uh, the Taayosh group got involved. Taayosh. It means like uh, co-living or something in Arabic, um, or living, whatever. Uh, so when they got involved, they started uh, talking to different Israeli lawyers, and uh, specifically one lawyer that I remember, his name was Shlomo Lekia, and he took it to court, to the Israeli courts. Eventually, after a long struggle, he managed to reach um, something perhaps called a restraining order, where basically the authorities told them that, like, for 10 years you cannot build anything in the school, but we will not demolish it. She's saying uh, the building of the school in Atawani was the first step for the non-violence resistance in the region. We definitely did not stop after that. So she's saying after we got this restraining order where the school is not cannot be demolished for 10 years, but also they're not allowed to build on it, we decided that we're not going to sit quiet and we're going to continue building. And in those 10 years, we built 10 more rooms. Um, we said that we're not going to wait till some government is going to tell us uh, you can or you cannot. While those 10 years, uh, Taayosh became more and more involved and they also involved all kinds of uh, human rights organizations and the organizations that deal with legal matters and more and more people became interested and involved in what's happening here and protecting these communities. Um, 
But she's saying also we felt uh, a strength in us getting bigger and we saw some weakness inside the authorities. She's saying it's, it's definitely significant like compared to the other communities in Masafariyata. Like we have running water, we have, uh, we have electricity available. She's saying other women in Masafariyata like they, they build a tent because their house was demolished to live in it in, the, in summer or whatever and then the army comes and demolishes that tent. Like we have houses, we have electricity, we have water. Yes, she's saying, yes, our neighbors, they live without electricity, they live without running water, they live in tents, they live in caves, uh, they live in a situation much, much harder than what we do. Dror Sadot, I'm the spokesperson of B'Tselem. Uh, B'Tselem was founded in um, 1989 um, in order to document human rights violations in the occupied territories and this is practically what we're doing. Um, one of our main projects is where we're handing out cameras to Palestinians uh, throughout the West Bank uh, in order for them to document their lives under the occupation. Um, and this is how most of our footage is come. This is where most of our footage is coming from. We're working uh, together, our researcher, we have also uh, women uh, researchers, and we're also working together. We have volunteers uh, that are women, um, many times, uh, like Manal, one of our researchers uh, in Hebron city, uh, she told us that uh, it was very, it was more difficult to get um, women volunteering um, and like taking uh, uh, photos and, and documentations because of what what is the public opinion uh, inside the city and what is um, like how a woman is look looks like when she's going out with a camera etc etc so yes obviously if we're talking about oppressed uh, population so I guess that women are dealing with several oppressions. On the one hand, is the patriarchal, but patriarchal, mm. and on the other one is the occupation. In 2016, we issued uh, our report, uh, FIGLIF, regarding the uh, military enforcement system, and we stopped cooperating, stopped bringing any cases to the military enforcement system, but keep on tracking and is uh, issuing reports on the subject and following what's going on with those uh, investigations. The last one um, that we did on this subject was on the March of Returns protests uh, where more than 200 Palestinians were killed by snipers and fence in Gaza. And also there, as we examined in the report, um, I think it led to only one indictment uh, for a soldier that uh, um, killed a 14-year-old Palestinian and also for like three uh, months of service something like that. So we had some documentation from uh, Gaza also, and of course it was well documented uh, by the uh, people in Gaza, and, um, you know, for, f uh, from their um, 
phones mm. and etc. I mean, it was very much uh, out there. If we're talking about Gaza, what happened is that there were snipers um, along the fence. They just shoot toward protesters. So they had a whole uh, legal mechanism they built around it to legitimize the situation where a soldier that is n- not vulnerable at all uh, can shoot toward uh, protesters and the High Court of Justice in Israel approved it. So again, the whole mechanism works to legitimize those kinds of war crimes and uh, um, violations of the international law. Gaza is a very different situation to the West Bank and is often described as an open prison with a huge population of Palestinians enclosed into a tiny area under constant blockade. In Gaza, the stages of grief come all at once. Denial, anger, misery, fatalism, wave upon wave of emotion as the Israeli onslaught intensifies. The Israelis say they do all they can to avoid civilian deaths, but four children and their parents were killed in an overnight airstrike on the building where they were staying in Beit Lahia. مرحبا انا الفت الكرد عمري 41 عام متزوجة ام لاربع ابناء Hi, I'm Ulfat Al-Kurd. I'm 41 years old. I am married and a mother of four children. I work as a field researcher for Beit Salem and I live in the Gaza Strip. My work in Beit Salem includes exposing the Israeli violations committed by the Israeli army against civilians in the Gaza Strip. I take testimonies from citizens and conduct investigations of the perpetrated crimes that were committed by the Israeli occupation against those innocent civilians. I also make videos of these investigations and publish them on the Beit Salem website and also on social media around the world. Also, at the beginning of my work in Beit Salem around the year 2018, there were marches on the border in the Gaza Strip. I was documenting these marches. It was the first time for me that I could see the occupation face to face. They were shooting and fired gas bombs at us. The Israeli army didn't differentiate between a administrator, marcher, a human rights activist or a journalist. Actually, these are the most important difficulties that I can tell or that I faced during my work in a human rights organization. While documenting or working in the field, I meet all segments of society, including women, youth, the elderly and children. But all my focus is on women. In general, the conditions of women in the Gaza Strip are very bad. I cannot describe the difficulty or life for them, whether in obtaining a job or in the huge number of female graduates and the difficulty of movement here. I believe that the future for these women is dark because we have been under blockade for 16 years now. There is nothing for them nor jobs or freedom of movement. Their homes are destroyed and they are forced to move to other shelters in these wars. What will their life be like then? Of course it will be hard. Also, most of their families are poor and cannot secure their daily needs from food and so on. 
Of course, the woman in these conditions will be frustrated and sad. In wars, for example, the woman is the one who takes the responsibility of the house, the needs of her children and their education. Also, women in Gaza are always trying to find a job to support themselves, their homes and their families. If you want to talk about a simple example of her suffering, when the electricity is cut off, for example, which is considered one of the difficulties that women face, that how to find alternative ways through which they can live. One of the difficulties that women face in the Gaza Strip is also the difficulty in obtaining treatment, especially for women who are diagnosed with the cancer, who need to travel to the West Bank or Jerusalem for treatment. They are prevented from obtaining a permit to go to the hospitals in Jerusalem and the West Bank, and thus her health condition will be negatively affected. Honestly, I find it very difficult to bear such situations, such feelings. Sometimes I try to pretend to be strong in front of them, while I'm crying inside at this moment. I see families that have been completely erased from the civil registry. The mother, the father, the children, all are disappeared after the aggression. What can I say then? I feel that I am helpless to do anything, helpless even in expressing my feelings. When I meet these people who are suffering, they think that I have a solution to their problems, but the only thing that I can do for them is document their condition, their suffering, and deliver their voices to the world. At a nearby hospital, there was chaos just after the shells struck. Dozens had been injured. The hospital's operating theater struggled to cope. In the recovery ward, I met this boy, aged 15, his leg so badly injured that doctors were still deciding whether it would be amputated or not. You're listening to Documentary on News Talk. This programme contains descriptions of violence and is intended for a mature audience. This is fighting on two fronts. Suffering in Gaza is a daily occurrence, but women suffer in a different way to men. Living under patriarchal society and the occupation, they suffer on two fronts. I spoke with Amal Sayam, director of Gaza's Women Affairs Centre. Uh, you know that Women Affairs Center is uh, one of the biggest and oldest women organization here in Gaza Strip. Our beginning as a Women Affairs Center was uh, from a few activist women. In 1991, the uh, the Israeli occupation occupied Gaza. And now we uh, still under the Israeli attack, but we can say that uh, we establish in very critical period, especially when we talk about that we work in very conservative uh, society, deal with traditions and norms which see our role is uh, limited and it's very difficult to, to exist until now. From the beginning, we fighting and we face many challenges. We target very vulnerable women and girls in the mar marginalized area across Gaza Strip. We can say that uh, women in uh, Gaza Strip suffering from 
many problems. The rate of the poverty in Gaza Strip arrived 59%. We can see the rate of unemployment among the youth in Gaza, uh, 75%, and among the female, around 87%. And lack participation of women in the public life and the in the political life. And also because of the bad economic social situation, there are increasing in violence against women and gender-based violence. So we can say that one-third women in Palestinian society in Gaza suffer from at least one form domestic violence. So we can say that Uh, we apply here in Gaza Palestinian laws which not protect our rights as a as a woman for example here in Gaza we apply the family law from 1954 and the punishment law from 1936 and as we said women affairs center aims to empower Uh, Palestinian women, especially Gazian women, and advocate their rights uh, through three main programs. The first one is uh, women protection and empowerment program. The second program is research and information program, which include also research unit and management information unit. The third program is advocacy and outreach program, which include Uh, media unit and uh, uh, advocacy unit and uh, also uh, video unit and uh, other يعني, so we can see the, the, uh, the, uh, these three main programs to achieve our uh, goal, strategic goal and our uh, mission and vision as a women affairs center Despite the suffering of the people in Gaza life must go on but the effect the occupation and blockade has had on their mental health has been profound. Founded in the 90s, the Gaza Community Mental Health Programme attempts to do what it can to help those suffering with PTSD, depression and other mental illnesses. I spoke with Yasser Abu Jami and Raiwa Hamman. So my name is Yasser Abu Jami, I'm a psychiatrist and I'm currently the Director General of the Gaza Community Mental Health Programme. This is a non-governmental organization that began its work in 1990. Uh, in, in many of the uh, research studies that were uh, uh, made in the 90s, we, we found out about 30 to 35% of the people who were like affected directly by the uh, uh, violations, they developed PTSD. Uh, others were just torture survivors because they were imprisoned or they were detained. So that's how uh, we began. Of course, now with time, we speak now, it's already 33 years, you know. Uh, changes, things have changed a lot. Unfortunately, it changed to the worse, not to the better, you know. And now, after like 33 years, the most uh, frequent type of, uh, uh, let me say, disorders or diseases that we see at our three community mental health centers is a diagnosis of depression. The second diagnosis is anxiety and PTSD and, uh, let me say, trauma-related disorders, which is like could be about 25%. And then the third is, is everything else, you know. 
Gaza is not that much frequent in the news, but the reality is that uh, Gaza is still under occupation. The reality is that two-thirds of the population are refugees. That's almost 1.5 million people out of 2.3 billion people. Very crowded area with more than 5,000 people per square kilometer. Very small geographical area, 360 square uh, kilometers. And within uh, being under occupation, we are under blockade since uh, now uh, more than 15 years. And within those uh, blockade years, we were also exposed to various larger scale of military operations, like in 2008, 9, 2012, 2014, uh, 2021, and then 22. So we, we say generally any child who is now like 15 or 16 was at least exposed to three military operations, not to count, you know, the attacks that happen every now and then, like for the last three months, I think we had like three or four evenings on different uh, evenings that we heard the bombardment in different areas in Gaza Strip. So this all caused relapse. Now we, we try to find hope in people's lives. We try to stress more on the positive uh, uh, things in people's life. One is the success stories that they have. You know, when you have a, a child whose educational uh, uh, achievement have declined dramatically because she, for example, was exposed to trauma and she is suffering from uh, PTSD or like after a few weeks, you just managed to bring that child back to a good schooling achievement. That's bringing her back to life. You know, that's making the whole family uh, let me say survive that is like you know that's a, a big success you help people you see how they become uh, let me say happy how they become thankful how they become grateful and you try to, your best to move from one success to the other success you know uh, I remember one of the uh, of the colleagues who, who used to work in the outreach teams and go to provide psychological first aid after attacks you know large scale military operations in one of the attacks that was, if I, if I remember, one in, in 2014, she, she was going to one of the neighborhoods in East Khanunis when suddenly a, a young uh, uh, lady just ran into her, you know. Where are you? I was waiting for you. I need to consult you. I, want, I need to talk uh, to you about what happened to me. And then she said, she, she remembered her. She was a, a kid when she met her, let me say, in, 20, in 2008, 2009. So she went to see that neighborhood in 2009, in January 2009, after the 2009 attacks. She went back again in 2014, that's five years later. And the people, they are waiting for your support, they are waiting for your help. Uh, a woman with her housewives or working women have many responsibilities and heaviness over their shoulders without real participation sometimes from others, uh, especially husbands. They have the responsibility of rearing children and working inside and outside the house. Really, they are suffering from other social confinement, which is related to the patriarchal power. I, I personally participating with other colleagues uh, in making like uh, individual interviews with women, how they are coming to mobile clinics, the, uh, clinics they have uh, physical symptoms, but we, win, we interviewed uh, some women 
and just let them talk about their traumatic experiences through the last 15 years. They, they talk um, 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 about many experiences. Like one, I remember one woman, when she talked, she remembered it, uh, some experiences even during the first intifada. She said to me, Rawia, I was pregnant at that time. And, you know, the Israeli some of uh, the Israeli soldiers before 2005, uh, uh, they, they entered her home and become shouting and even hitting the, the, the pregnant woman at the time. And uh, she, she, she became, she has bleeding, she, she had bleeding and she lost her baby at the time. Uh, and also she said that during the 2014, when the, the, the harsh attacks on Gaza, she said that her, um, her neighbor houses, they were totally demolished and she witnessed personally the parts of some bodies, the martyr bodies. And uh, at that time, she faced with the horror and uh, sometimes she was freezing and she has uh, short-term symptoms like sleep, sleep problems, uh, nervousness sometimes. And later on, she develops um, the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, like uh, avoidance, uh, hyperarousal, and nightmares. And she even, she has uh, a general malaise, uh, general weaknesses in her body. Sometimes she was uh, violent against her children. Um, yeah, she said that, you know, uh, as maybe Dr. Yasser said, that there is no post-traumatic disorder in Gaza because it is continuous uh, traumatic events and there is no space even to breathe or even to recover from trauma to another trauma. And also this lady, I remember that she said, she told me that even in the second intifada in 2000, her husband, he was working inside the Greenland. But after the second intifada, he was denied to have a permit and he stays at home and she, she was obliged obliged to go outside her home and begin to work, to work as a, as a cleaner in an institution. Um, because her husband, he became unemployed, he stays at home, and she she carried all her responsibility of rearing her children, and at the same time, she's working outside home. And uh, later on, she develops many physical symptoms like back, back pain, legs, and the stomach, in addition to psychological problems. There is no doubt life in Gaza is incredibly tough, yet despite their struggles they push forward, and the people I spoke with embody everything about the positivity and strength of the Palestinian people. Two of these were community workers and friends, Mona Shah and Hala Razik. Actually I am a, I'm a mother of three children, and in the offensive of 2014, uh, at that time, because, you know, I'm working in human rights and we keep uh, uh, doing uh, press releases, uh, documents, reports about uh, uh, people who, uh, uh, the civilians who killed during the offensive. And all the time I feel at that time, I felt like me and my children will become uh, like the uh, numbers of this uh, attack. And uh, I can't uh, even answer the question of my children at that time. They keep asking me when this will 
uh, end, when this offensive, with this attack will end? I have no answer, actually. And the, the most suffer, a, a painful feeling that when you feel that you can't protect your children. Um, the same for me, uh, actually, because I'm, I'm working in a humanitarian uh, organization which provide uh, services uh, uh, to beneficiaries. Sometimes uh, people look uh, to us as heroes. Uh, they not imagine that we are afraid we are worried we are we have these concerns about our lives and our children lives and how to protect them all the time if you feel afraid you are not allowed to feel afraid because you are uh, the service provider mm -hmm. so you have to be a hero you have to be here strong all the time, all the time. and unfortunately uh, we faced many many uh, any challenges in this uh, in this regard Actually, I do believe in, uh, in, in my work and I do believe why I'm working in the field of uh, defending women's rights in, in Gaza and uh, as a Palestinian woman. Yes, we, 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 we will not lie and we, we will tell you the honestly we were telling it's not an easy work uh, because we are working to change uh, the attitude and the mentality and the culture uh, to have an equal rights for women, better situation for women. It's not and easy in this complicated and to feel sometimes we became frustrated mm -hmm. I'm honestly telling you we are not heroes yeah. yes <laughs> we, we keep doing we keep working but we don't feel there is a big change mm -hmm. but this is out of our our hands it's not because we are not working well or working hard we are working hard but the circumstances the environment you, you look at our situation you know the basic need of women are uh, missing here women needs to have uh, to have jobs here, uh, clean water. We don't have clean water. We don't have electricity. Their basic needs for our daily life are missing. All the time we keep saying women, we keep saying that women are paying the, high, the highest price for all these conflicts and this uh, situation. We still uh, have this uh, 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 discrimination against women. It's, it's from the culture itself, actually. So we keep call that women here in Palestine are double, double victims. We are not just victims of, uh, of, uh, of the occupation. Uh, we are victims of our, uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, according to the, uh, the society we live in, actually it's a patriarchal society. And uh, it, it's all the time there is campaigns against all of this. Like if you wanted to raise the age of marriage to 18, there was also campaign against this. Uh, so uh, in many cases, we have for, um, forced marriage. Uh, in Gaza, uh, actually, there is a difference between Gaza and West Bank. In Gaza, we have uh, uh, 14 and 7 months, years old less than 15 years old. Even we have a child law. According to this a child law, she's still a children, a child, this girl. But unfortunately, uh, the law in Gaza allow the girl in the age of 14 and seven months to marry. 
We love our identity and we belong to our identity as a Palestinian and the Palestinian culture. And there is many beautiful uh, things in our culture as a Palestinian, as an Arab, as a Muslim. There is many things are beautiful. But at the same time, there is many things are bad and we need to change it. And we need to, uh, to have a better concept for women and its rule in our society. Palestinian, we are... Uh, the only people who are in the in the longest occupation in the modern history we live under the longest occupation in the modern history you know we still live in this occupation which affects every single thing in our life so this is as first as a palestinian being a palestinian so you mean you are uh, suffering from the longest occupation in the modern history we keep to uh, insist to survive uh, we have to we haven't any another choice we are the uh, the service providers uh, the workers in this community the lo- the people uh, in our humanitarian context look at us to as a heroes so uh, We haven't another choice to, to, to escape or to run away. We have to, to, to survive. And as I told you, we do believe in our work. We do belong, belong to our work also. And I all the time also think if we are not here, what will happen? So we have to be here and we have to be uh, beside women and working uh, uh, for women. So because uh, we, we really uh, believe in our work. Fighting on Two Fronts was produced and edited by Brian Kenny and was supported by a grant from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland as part of the Sound and Vision Scheme. For more documentary on Newstalk, visit Newstalk.com.